Well, hello and welcome to the Learning From Legends show with me, Peter Switzer, on this week's program with the founder and CEO of Elmo Software, Danny Lessam. Now, I included his company in my Zeet collection of stocks that, as a group, are up 37.42% since I wrote a piece about them on May 29 last year. Over that same period, the ASX 200 index was up only 17.7%, and the WAX stocks, the famous tech WAX stocks, were up only 28.8%. So, it'd be interesting. I have to confess, having a small investment in all four stocks, at Zip Money, Elmo, EML Payments, and Tyro, because I should put my money where my tips are, but it doesn't stop me continually testing my selection. And so I've caught up with the founder of and CEO, Danny Lesson, who started this very small business and now has over 500 staff and is growing rapidly. And then I catch up with private equity innovator, Bede Moore, who once shared a room at Harvard with the inimitable Mark Zuckerberg. Um, his antelope fund group um, actually invests in micro-cap tech stocks looking for the next Afterpay or next DC. This guy is really interesting. So without any further ado, let's meet Danny Lesson. But please don't take this as a stock market tip. It's purely brilliant financial insight. So I'm talking to the CEO of Elmo Software, Danny Lesson. Danny, thanks for coming on the program. Always a pleasure, Peter. Danny, you know, I guess a lot of people don't know Elmo Software uh, at this point in time. People in the stock market would, I'm sure, go great ticker code, ELO, one of the the great rock bands of the, I guess, 70s and 80s. But uh, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Elmo Software does before we get to know you as a founder and CEO and and understand the potential for this business, if the potential is there. Because I'm going to be totally objective. I should reveal I am invested in Elmo, but not a lot, just enough to – I always like putting skin in the game when I, I like a company. But um, So, Danny, tell us about Elmo Software. Yeah, so firstly, it's software as a service, very important. It's, uh, it's hosted on a server, and it's served out to our clients. So – it's not your traditional on-premises software. It's much more contemporary. Um, so it means that businesses that uh, subscribe to the software, they don't have to worry about the hosting requirements and uh, they just tap in and it works. So it works really well. Where we work is we work very much in uh, the human resources domain and that's uh, uh, assisting organizations to manage and automate uh, human resources process. We've widened the solution to include uh, functionality to facilitate payroll and also most recently expense management. It's a very broad solution. It's what we call in the industry a convergent solution. So it's uh, integrated, it's interoperable. Mm. And it, what it means uh, for our major stakeholders who are the employees themselves is that they have a single dashboard, they have a single user experience and it's quite easy for them to uh, go through the tasks in interacting with the company. It also assists the company itself, the administrators of the system, that they have a single dashboard to um, manage HR process and they've got a single reporting tool. So that means that they, they can carry out their functions very easily in this integrated platform. Okay, so let's try and decode all this, the really tricky stuff that the listeners might say, hang on, I, 
I don't fully understand this. And I've got to say, it was aspects of the answer that made me even understand more of what you do. But before we go there, why don't we start and ask the question, why did you think businesses needed the solution you initially came to market with? What was, what was wrong or what was a frustration or a difficulty for businesses where you said, hey, I can fix that. This is going to fix that and people are going to love it. I'm going to make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah and it's really important, um, particularly when you're doing software or software as a service, it's all about the customer. You've got to um, fix fix a problem they have. It's mm-hmm. not about coming up with a with a great uh, program or a bit of code. It really is about fixing a problem. Now, the problem that uh, a lot of businesses were having and still continue to have is with um, a modern workforce. So, a workforce that is, uh, I suppose, now becoming more uh, geographically dispersed, is that the old manual way of doing things from a people management perspective is not working. So the old office where you had the fining cabinet and you had a conversation with the person is as you get a bigger business and more geographically dispersed, those manual processes don't work. So that's where technology comes in and particularly cloud-based technology is you can automate these processes and you can do it in such a way which is very easy for both the employee and the company, the administrator of the company. So that's where the uh, technology comes in. It comes in to assist businesses in scaling and getting yep. bigger yep. and more geographically dispersed yep. and um, getting all that information in. So if we look at the employee journey, it starts with somebody getting recruited. Yep. Is And in, in, the, in the old days before technology is you'd put an ad in the newspaper uh, people would call up, they'd make an appointment, uh, they'd uh, send in their, their CV, etc. It was a very manual task. Yeah. Now with automation, we've got these job boards like Seeked, social platforms like LinkedIn. This can be all done automatically. Mm-hmm. But the company needs to reach these job boards. They need to be able to um, firstly post the, the adverts, yeah. and that can be done automatically through cloud-based technology like Elmo, mm-hmm. then, and they need to filter in all the applications to make sure which ones are appropriate. Okay, can I interrupt you? So you're saying from, from the outset, someone who is either an HR person or a small business person who's doing everything from hiring to washing bottles or whatever, they're they able to tap into what's on Jot, uh, on Seek or LinkedIn via your software to say to that big audience, hey, there's a job here. Is that the starting point? That's the starting point and right. um, is, again, making everything automatic. Yeah. And it goes right through from recruitment to onboarding people. So, so people can send their, their application in as well through your software? Absolutely. It's all yeah. now, it's all cloud-based. It's, uh, yeah. People don't have to move from in front of their mobile phone or their computer. Yeah. It's all done automatically. Okay. And it's a two-way conversation. I keep, I keep interrupting you, mate. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm listening to this. That I didn't have a clue. I want to ask more questions. So, does it also mean that um, once or people put in their applications, you could even do a filtering process to get rid of the people you don't want? That would be a really hard one. I've asked that question. But some people will be thinking that. Yes, it's it's it, it 
again, automatically is done, the whole filtering or passing process. But you're process. saying it does filter. So it, if you want people who have, say, 10 years' experience, you can put that in there. And everyone who applies, hasn't got 10 years' experience, doesn't get a look in. That's correct. Unbelievable. Okay, all right. Okay. So, all right, so we're going – but it doesn't select the candidate. You've still got to select the candidate, surely. Yeah, it, it will filter it down to the, um, uh, say, the candidates that tick the boxes in yeah. terms of experience and right. aspiration. And then um, it, it will have a, a smaller selection for your, um, for, your, for your human resources function. Yeah. And they'll be able to, again, automatically set up these, uh, the interviews. Mm. And um, again, um, afterwards is just put in the selection and um, put in the offer through the system as well. So it can produce the, the offer and do the contracting in the system. So there's just one line of communication. Mm. It's very easy. It's not only great for the companies, it's great for employees or prospective employees because it takes the friction out of their process as well so they yeah. can find that the correct fit for them quicker. So technology works not only for companies, yeah. it works for the individuals as do well. Do you think businesses fully understand what you guys do? I think that it's an education process. So um, there is uh, a lot of education amongst um, HR stakeholders, so yeah. people yeah. involved in... So medium-sized businesses with an HR person, they, they would get it. They'd be looking for this sort of stuff all the time. They get it, yes. Yeah, yeah. But so is your potential audience a whole bunch of people out there who don't have an HR person who are doing it the old-fashioned way? Yeah, um, just with small businesses, so the owner-operated businesses. Mm. So firstly, um, a lot of them are still using manual process mm. in, in managing people, but they get it as well. They, um, everyone, because of the apps we use, the, uh, the Netflix, or we use it to pay our Telstra account mm. or or Vodafone account. Let's 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 it's give them a bit of paid pay <laughs> time Optus as well. As well don't really and Optus, Optus. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they they they're quite educated and they're quite savvy. Mm. So they have a hunger for the technology, mm. and now they're discovering it's out there. And because of software as a service, they don't have to implement it in mm. in their home or their premises. They can just tap in through a subscription. So they have an enormous appetite for consuming. Uh, human resources-based technology. Okay. So let's imagine you got yourself an employee. What else does your stuff do once that person becomes an employee? Yeah, so it assists in onboarding them. So if if a person gets uh, gets that offer and they sign up, mm. they'll get a notification um, introducing them to the team, yeah. doing all the, the bank account stuff, the, um, the, the tax stuff, Tax filing mm. declaration. That's so the, all the done. The accounting team will love that. Yeah, yeah, it's all done automatically. So it's really good for the company. They get all that stuff that you would in the old days do on day one, day two, day three. Yeah, you can do it all um, on your mobile phone. It's great for the company. They get all that information. Mm. They know if somebody's got an ergonomic issue, they need a standing desk. Um, <laughs> what, what, whatever, okay. whatever the vagary is, that's done before the person hits the premises. Yeah. And it's great for the individual because they know what to expect. They know who their managers, who their team is, um, and they also can do their compliance-based training. They can do everything beforehand. So onboarding is completely okay. automated yeah. Recruitment, as a first step. onboarding. Now, once a person's sitting at a desk and they've got issues with the company, you know, HR-type issues, 
do they just sing at the desk? Hey, this is going wrong. Will someone fix it? Like, is that, does that happen on the Elmo as well? Yeah, look, it is the the person will have a, a dashboard. Right. So um, it will have employee a employee dashboard. They'll have an employee dashboard. So if they have to report, say, an incident or accident, like or sexual re- harassment or bullying in the workplace, there's a, there's an actual allocation for things like that. They, if it's configured that way, they right. can they can make a report. And um, it, mm. more importantly, there'll be training. So everyone gets trained about what the policies and what the expectations on the workplace. Okay. So, um, again, great for the company is when, when a person is onboarded, they'll have a whole lot of training mm. about, um, uh, about uh, uh, sexual harassment, about uh, bullying, etc. Yeah. So All the rules of the game. Everything is open up there. Um, no one has an excuse, and it really lifts the education in the workplace mm. and people's uh, uh, expectations, the entitlements, what they, you know, what they're entitled to do. So, mm. uh, it has a great learning um, capability. The the platform, yeah. which is really good, but it also has uh, reporting capability. If, for yeah. instance, you need to report um, a. An incident, an, an incident of sorts. Yeah. So it's 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 really there, and it's configurable yeah. for each organisation. Danny, I, you know, I've done a lot of small business um, stories in my life. You know, formerly was the small business editor at the Australian, and and I've you know grown my own small to to now medium sized business. Uh, and, and the thing I know is that a lot of small business people are great at their business, but they and they can be professional on their business. And it's what they're selling and their customer service, but often there's flaws in there, and, and it's, it's unprofessionalism because it's too busy to get professional. So it seems to me what you're talking about um, will tick a lot of boxes to make businesses far more professional in areas where they don't have expertise about sexual harassment and, and making sure people are treated well in the workplace. That can be something that can really fall through the cracks when. Business owners just think they've got happy staff and they're really good at their staff, but there are things that can go wrong. Yes, just for small businesses, uh, particularly uh, we, we've just acquired a fit-for-purpose fit for, fit for platform mm. for smaller businesses called Breathe, a UK-based um, uh, solution, which is really at the right pitch for the small businesses. Yeah. And we loading it up with all the um, all, all the uh, learning courses, et cetera, from Elmo, contextualized for, for the regions we work yeah, in, yes. Australia, New yeah. Zealand. So it really does help these small businesses. And uh, we, we understand their problem. Their problem with the owner-operated business is that they, they focused on, on you know, making the business work. Mm. Uh, they're, not, they're not focused on people management or compliance. Yeah. So that's that's where um, a, a software as a service vendor like Elmo or Breathe, um, our small business platform comes in, is we can fill that gap. We can automate all those processes mm. and ensure that they have the same sort of uh, type of HR management as a bigger business. Yeah. So it's all accessible now. Mm. And um, uh, as I said before, owner operators, very savvy, just, and that, that's the great thing. We're dealing with people, small business owners are quite technical. They, they know how to um, run technology, especially software mm. as a service, and they have a high expectation. So it really has to be good and fit for purpose for their requirements. And as, as a vendor, if you can supply a solution, which is simple to use, which does the trick and eliminates the pain point, then they will subscribe to that 
particular technology. Yeah, because it seems to me that you know, the, the, the first part of your service you describe, the HR person would love it and therefore the, the business person who thinks they might have an HR issue, they would like it as well. But also there's the payroll aspect to your business as well that the accountant, I, I presume, loves because a lot of accountants do the payroll. Yeah, it, in terms of the owner-operators, so small businesses, mm. again, um, uh, payroll, everyone has to do payroll. Mm. And uh, payroll, uh, you, need to, you need to report to the Australian Taxation Office. That needs to be done automatically. You've got to um, uh, pay superannuation. Now with, uh, with the Elmo payroll or the Breathe payroll, which is integrated into this convergence solution, that's all done automatically. Obviously, you've got to put the inputs as an owner-operator, yeah. but um, all the um, all the payments to the uh, to the relevant uh, uh, parties that's that's all now figured out for them. So it's really simplified the process, and this is the idea with the with the offering that we had is to ensure that small businesses can focus on their business, not focus on the items around administrating or running the business. Mm. That can be done fairly painlessly now. What do you say to people who say, well, look, I've already got a, you know, a, a payroll system on my uh, bookkeeping software. What do you say to them to say, well, this is better? Well, I presume you think it is better. Is um, what we say to them <laughs> is have a look at it. So particularly our small business offering, yeah. um, Breathe, uh, which is a small business platform which includes payroll, it has a 14-day free trial, mm. is go and have a look at it. Mm. Is um, I can sit here, I've, I've worked in the industry for many years and uh, seen a lot of systems, and I can say it's a great system, it's better than your incumbent system. Yeah. But that, that, that doesn't sort of cut mustard. What I would recommend for any business person out there, especially a small business person, is go and have a look. There's, there's great... Um, alternatives out there. You don't have to carry on with old technology. Is you you are in a position now that there's there's great systems out there, and go and try them out. Yeah. So so Danny, um, let's go to you now as the founder. How how big was Elmo when you first started? Yeah. Uh, you start big or you start small? <laughs> we started small. We started yeah. small. So started off with, with my co-founder mm. and we had one employee. So there were, there were three of us and this was back in 2002. Yeah. So great believers in, in the cloud. Uh, mm. It actually wasn't called the cloud back then. No. Uh, uh, and it, there wasn't a term software as a service. So um, the challenges were that we, we had this belief in a – uh, a single code base and delivery across the internet, so yeah. essentially cloud-based computing, and we we thought we had a solution which would solve problems for businesses. Yeah. Were you so, ahead of the curve? Because you were ahead of the curve, weren't you? If they weren't even using the name cloud, people wouldn't know what you're talking about in those days. You know, the curve didn't exist then. <laughs> yeah. We were so early. I remember I, I, when we were rolling out the first solution, I was uh, I was so excited because it. It was so much easier. It made so much sense, yeah. and um, I, I I did a bit of everything. So um, business administration, a bit of a bit of programming, and also selling. Mm. And I remember going out to companies and showing them, and they said, "Well, you know, uh, where where's the program? Uh, is it's across the internet? Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, no, that's not going to work for us. Yeah. Where's it stored? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was very difficult in mm. the early, early days because it was such an innovation. But um, there was a lot of belief. And where there's a lot of belief, you just, you know, you just keep on, on fine-tuning it. And, um, and I suppose the rest, of, uh, the rest of society caught up with the, with the internet mm. and we were there. Yeah. Where, where did you get the education uh, about the cloud that wasn't called the cloud uh, and um, how long did it take you to actually see the rest of the world catching up with you? Yeah, we'll roll back. So this we're rolling back from uh, 2002 to um, round about, I think it was 1996. And that's when I met my co-founder, Manuel Garber. Mm. And um, I actually visited him in his office and I hadn't seen the internet before. So this was in 1996. And he said, let me show you the internet. Mm. And um, he showed me the internet and it took all of 15 minutes. And that was my introduction to, mm. to the internet. And I thought, well... What were you before then? What, what were you doing as a, as a job or as a business then? Well, I... I I qualified as a, as a lawyer, actually. Right. I went right. to university, qualified as a lawyer. But I was always very entrepreneurial. So mm. I had a wholesale business. I actually was uh, um, wholesaling um, jewelry of all things. Mm. But um, I was always very, uh, very keen at, at looking at new business models. Mm. So we take that entrepreneurial background and we overlay this sort of light bulb moment with the internet. Mm. And that sort of set me on on the course that that I'm on today. Yeah. Cause I, my, my first um, brush with the cloud was when Steve Bormler came to Sydney. And I, I, I must admit, I can't remember what it was, but it was early in the 2000s and it was at the, the Regent Hotel, which now, now I think is called the Four Seasons. Um, and Microsoft clearly brought him out and I had to interview him. And he actually made the point. He said, this cloud is going to be the game changer. He said, it'll take some time for people to... To get onto it, he said. But when they do, there's going to be so much growth, so much change, so much innovation because of it. So, you certainly were into it early. But was it frustrating that, because you also had the dot com bust between 1996? Well, 2002, the bust was in 2002, wasn't it? So, how long did it take? Do you think for business to really start to understand and start thinking, hey, this guy's onto something? It took a bit of time. So starting off Elmo back in 2002, it, there, were, there was a lot of resilience mm. to, um, uh, to cloud-based technology. Um, Re so resilience or resistance? Resist resistance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had to have a lot of resilience to yes. deal with the resistance. With yep. <laughs> Sorry about the slippage That's there. That's all right. So there was a lot of resistance. So like any other entrepreneur, we, we, needed, to, we needed to find a way to get this great cloud solution into businesses. Mm. So we started off with a, with a learning delivery solution, which uh, was, a great, uh, was a great solution to deliver training courses to organizations. Now there was resistance to cloud-based technology. So we, we spoke to prospects and we, we said, well, what do you need? They said, well, quite simply is we need the training 
in our organization, particularly compliance-based training, and this is back in yeah. 2002, mm. there was uh, new legislation around yeah. occupational health and safety then. Mm. And they said, if you, it is, we, need, we need to have the training and we need to have evidence of the training. So very, very simple. We said, well, um, we can do that as well. So um, the first- did, did you promise that not knowing whether you could or not? But <laughs> you said, we'll find out how to do it. <laughs> no, no, we, we said we could do that. Okay. So uh, the first thing that we did is I went, I went back, to, back to the office and uh, I said, well, um, this is what we have to do is there isn't a belief in the cloud. Um, there's, there's a little bit of suspicion in terms of um, uh, where, where the information is coming from. But if we can deliver a solution which um, uh, can meet the compliance requirements, so have the training plus the evidencing, I think, I think these guys will um, subscribe to our solution. Yeah. So uh, we, we hired a specialist. It took us about a week. We found a, a specialist in occupational health and safety. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we wrote out uh, we we got um, we we asked her to um, write out twenty modules, mm -hmm. twenty modules. What were the most important aspects of discharging that duty of care or compliance? Were these just headings for twenty modules? Because she, she'd take a bit of time to knock those modules out, wouldn't it? Yeah, she started knocking them out. I yeah. think it took uh, six to eight months. Okay, and um, and write some questions, and then okay. we wrote the code. And then we went back to the same uh, companies and we said, well, uh, we've got the solution now. And uh, he has some, some training, it's pre-built training, and you can edit it as well because we, you know, we, we made it that way and you can edit the questions. And then they looked at it and they said, well, you've actually solved the problem is now we have training and evidence. Mm. So we'll take, we'll, take it, we'll take the cloud delivery. Mm. So the cloud delivery was in the background, mm. but we solved the pain point, mm. and that's how we started off. It was, it was proof. You proof you, you could deliver on your promise. Yeah, and it's mm. much the same as other stories in terms of in terms of cloud. Is if you could deliver content. So mm. we brought the content as an offering in as well, mm. and that became a second revenue stream. So we had the 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 learning management system. We had the content, and that's that's how we got into organizations. So we we actually. Uh, popularized the cloud by stealth. Yeah. We yeah. just solved a problem. Kind of solving a problem. Exactly right. Now, um, so you started in 2002, and I think I've said this to you before. I think your answer, the reason why I'm going to ask you this again, is that, you know, people talk about overnight success, but a lot of people say it takes about 20 years for overnight success. How long did your overnight success take, Danny? Before um, Elmo became like a, a business where you knew this thing was going to get bigger and bigger. Look, we, we've been at it uh, for 19 years now. Mm. So, and we're still very early in that journey. So it de de really depends on how you define success. Mm. I define success uh, by actualizing the full potential of the value proposition. Mm. So I think we're still very early in that. So uh, just in terms of it, have we have we achieved what we want to achieve? Not yet. So we're still early in that process. Um, but what I can say is that um, is it's been very very satisfying, um, just riding the wave of cloud adoption. It's mm. been very satisfying because we now are touching millions of employees across thousands of organisations across many regions and it's it's great journey is we are 
having an effect on the way people work and making uh, solutions that make the tasks of organizations and employees easier. So it's been very satisfying. So how, you had three employees 2002. How many you got now? Um, I think circa around about 550, mm. um, but it's a moving target because we, we're a high-growth organization. Yeah. But it's, it, it, it's not that different from having a small business. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's about having participation from everyone. Is when, when you're dealing with software, and particularly software as a service, it's really about the contribution of everyone in that organization to reach that next iteration of growth. So very much our culture is still entrepreneurial. It's about um, everyone contributing to the, uh, uh, the extent they can contribute, and um, it's about the customer. Mm. So it's, it's, it's still very exciting. All right. So the analysts, despite that you've had a good week, which is good because I have, have been saying that I like your company. I'm going to see you've had a good week on the stock market. The, the analysts think you've got about 89% upside. So the one analyst out there, I think JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley, that looks at your company, and we, I always figured that one person has done his or her homework. They really believe in your, your company. What needs to be what needs to happen? I guess now there's two parts to the question. Was the coronavirus good for your company or challenging for your company? And as we get back to business normal uh, right around the world, is that going to be better for your company as opposed to the stay-at-home phase of the economy? Yeah, just to unpack that question, Peter, is uh, in, in the long term, uh, the advent of uh, coronavirus and the move to ge geographically dispersed working or remote-based working is very good for cloud adoption. It's mm. good for um, uh, uh, companies, whether they are large, medium-sized or small, they really need to automate their processes because yep. they're not all in one office. You can't yep. use manual process. And they so need- So it's going to create a future demand. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a real tailwind behind the adoption okay. of cloud-based systems. So that being said, during COVID itself, um, uh, particularly um, around the mid-market where is the historical core Elmo is, there was a, um, uh, I suppose, a slowdown or deferral of procurement mm. as, as companies look to reinforce their balance sheets. So we, we did get reinforce a... Reinforce your balance sheet. I mean, cut costs, don't you? <laughs> cut <laughs> normal people listening here, Danny. <laughs> to cut costs or, or, or delay costs. Yeah. Um, so we, we did see a slowdown in our growth and that's coming back now. We, yeah. We're really in a post-COVID situation. We also saw a bit of economic hardship, particularly in mid-market. Yeah. Is, so there was a slight increase in churn. Mm. But uh, again, um, what we see, the economic indicators, and we've just put out a uh, HR benchmarking survey and very interesting finding in that survey is, um, which sort of substantiates that, uh, uh, that positive economic outlook we have now, is that 85% of respondents, and this was a large survey across 1,800 organizations in Australia and New Zealand, 85% yeah. of respondents are looking to either increase their headcount or at least remain the same in 2021. So again, we, we're really back in that post-COVID situation. So coming back to your question mm. is, aside from some short-term slowdown in growth, um, the advent of remote-based working that came with COVID is, has been really good in terms of the adoption of cloud-based systems and good for Elmo 
as we as we move into the second half of 2021 and into the new financial year. So therefore, even if there was um, temporary challenges over the period we call COVID-19, you're saying that the, the, the fact that a lot more people will be working from home means that your solutions become um, an assistance to, to businesses trying to deal with a new business model. Yes. So um, most organisations now have flexible work arrangements. So they need to have technology which um, allows them to work efficiently wherever their employees are. Mm. So, Danny, the future of Elmo. Okay, you've got how, how many uh, potential products could someone buy from you and how much are they buying at this point in time? You always say that when you report, don't you? You always give that information out. Yes. Yeah, so... Um, with with our platform, there are actually 16 modules. Mm-hmm. So um, our customers can buy modularly. They only need to um, take a subscription on those uh, functions that they need in that point of time. Yeah. So they can take up to 16. Um, in uh, just across our client base, uh, on average, they uh, have taken 2.2 modules. So there's a lot of headroom mm. for adding the additional modules. Um, if we look at new customers, they say the new customers we took out took in the last reporting period, they've taken an average of four modules in that in that first hit. So there really is a there's a big um, big upside in terms of cross sell to existing customers. Yeah, I, I read a, a brilliant article on the weekend, which I actually wrote, Danny, um, and it was a it was based on a a, a Harvard uh, Business Review uh, on the inability of people and businesses to change. Is that ultimately what you need to do is actually encourage business owners um, and management of bigger companies to actually think about what is out there delivered from the cloud, which ultimately will uh, mean change, adopting change to get better outcomes. There is, there's, I think one thing that we've all learned through the experience of COVID is that you have to be flexible. Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of adoption of technology, um, is I think it's out there. It's out there in, in, in businesses, in the economy, amongst people, whether they're small businesses or big businesses, is that things have changed. Yeah. And um, that tailwind in terms of the adoption of the right type of technology to um, assist the working of businesses through through the change situation, I think it's out there. So, I I don't think it's uh, it's it's really required um, at this point for us to um, talk about the benefits of of the cloud or the benefits of our platform. Uh, it really is out there. What uh, it's such a big tailwind behind adoption. Um, I, I do believe that um, is businesses will really, really step up in terms of their investment. They will ensure that they have the resilience to continue in this new post-COVID world. So I think that the, I, I, I think that the, I suppose the the horse is bolted mm. in terms of adoption now. So it's not a question of convincing; it's a question of just ensuring that we have the best solution for our customers. Okay. Well, one last one. Um, Think about Danny Lesson, the diamond or jewellery trader, pre-2002. 
And uh, Danny Lesson, the CEO of a company with 550 employees, listed company, all things that anyone would be proud of. How have you changed over that time? Uh, just uh, firstly, not not diamonds. I when I was uh, back, maybe back the South African accent made me think of diamonds for some <laughs> for some inexplicable reason. It was it was at the low end of the jewelry scale. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah. So just in terms. Of, of my journey, it's been uh, terrifically exciting. Um, what uh, the exciting part is just being involved in, in cloud-based computing. It's uh, the moment I saw, I remember that moment very clearly where when I first had, had my introduction to the, to the internet. And now every, everyone, every, everyone who's born now, you know, they're born, um, interacting with the internet but that that really changed my view of things and um where, where i am now is uh, i suppose i'm 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 very lucky i've i've been able to um start off at the the beginning of that ride with uh, with cloud-based adoption and uh i'm involved with a great company and we've got we've got a great bunch of customers who keep on showing us the right way to do things and the direction of the future so um, very, very satisfied with my journey, but um, still very early in on the, the journey and hope to achieve, um, I suppose, more for our customers and um, just in terms of excellence in cloud-based computing as we go on into this new year. Well, Danny, as an economist, I think I'm entitled to call out a geek when I see one. But it seems to me that you were a potential geek even before you knew it because you've obviously embraced and loved the journey of the cloud and all the stuff that it can offer. And uh, you seem to be getting off on it. I think that's fantastic. So thanks for joining us on the program, mate. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Peter. And just in case you're a podcast listener but you don't check out my TV show on Monday and Thursdays, you can go to youtube.com slash Switzer Media or search for Switzer TV on YouTube. And there we look at some of the, the smartest and brightest stock pickers in the country, fund managers, analysts, technical people who give us some great insights on some fantastic companies to invest in and they've had a really good track record uh, of late. So go to youtube.com slash switzermedia or search for Switzer TV on YouTube. Joining me now is Bede Moore, the managing partner at Antler here in Australia. Uh, Bede, thanks for joining us on the program. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. So why don't you just position yourself in terms of the company? What, what is your real position and what do you really do <laughs> yeah listen so so uh i i'm the managing partner here in australia and i i, I launched our fund uh, and our business here back in uh 2018 uh and i have responsibilities uh for antler funds in in india china and uh in, into a few other markets that we're launching across apac um my primary activities um have been have been uh running the uh antler fund here in australia which invests into early stage tech companies okay so before we start to understand the fund and antler itself who is bead more 
You know, like, you know, there you are sitting around with a T-shirt. Of course, you have to because you're chasing tech companies. Tech companies would not talk to you if you weren't wearing a T-shirt. That's right. I've, That's I've right. seen Silicon Valley. You know, I, all my knowledge of people like you comes from Silicon Valley, <laughs> the TV show, not the actual place. Um, so who is Beanmore? Like, where, where have you come from? Yeah, well, that's a that, that's a good that's a good question. I, I often stare in the mirror and, <laughs> uh, and wonder that myself, Peter. Um, look, I uh, um, I my background is I'm, I'm I grew up in Sydney and uh, had the good fortune to go and study at Harvard uh, for my undergrad studies. Um, and I uh, after doing that and then you know dabbling for a while in academia of all things uh, Indonesian history. I realized I probably wasn't cut out to be an academic. And so I started my career um, in Australia with a company called BCG, which is a management consulting company. Um, and then uh, the, the, the excitement of adventure drew me to move uh, with my now wife to, to Jakarta um, with BCG. And when I had been there for about four months, and this is back in um, 2011, before the in-mail existed on LinkedIn, I received a friend request on LinkedIn and it just said these words, do you want to build the first billion dollar tech company in Indonesia? And I thought that it was, you know, one of these Nigerian print scams, <laughs> yes. but, uh, but, but actually it turned out to be real. And I sat down with a guy at a cafe and he said, look, there's $14 million in a bank account. Do you want to build a, a copy of Amazon here in Indonesia? And so uh, I quit my job and I, and I went and did this and, and we built the biggest e-commerce company in Indonesia over the, over the next year, a company called Lazada, which has subsequently been sold to, to Alibaba. Uh, and um, that was the beginning of my, my time in tech. And uh, fast forward many years uh, to 2018 and I was considering um, what my next move was going to be. And uh, I was talking to an old friend of mine from Harvard who had also worked with me in the Southeast Asian tech scene. And he said, listen, I'm, I'm, building, I'm building a new firm and it is we are going to invest in, uh, in, in exceptional individuals and we're going to help them build the defining companies of tomorrow. And why don't you, why don't you launch our fund in Australia investing into these types of people? And I, and I thought that, that sounds like one of the most interesting and impactful things that I could do with my time. Mm. Uh, and I've loved every day since. Yeah. Okay. So that's been more um, academic um, <laughs> Did you say Indonesian? What was your, your Indo first Indo degree? Indonesian colonial history, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, um, but it does show the value of hanging out with the right crowd, having a Harvard <laughs> buddy. That was a big a big help, wasn't it? But also, uh, I guess LinkedIn will love you because you know, all of a sudden you – was it Lozado? What was it? Lazada. Lazada. You must have learned a lot there, mate. What, what do you think was the biggest um, lesson you learned from that experience? The biggest lesson um, that I have learned, and I, and I worked for this was a, a German tech company that helped set it up, very uh, an infamous crowd called the the Samuel Brothers. And uh, the thing I have learned is that if you set your vision high enough, and you work exceptionally hard, and you are smart about it, that you can build big companies. Mm. And um, and and uh, you know that's just been the, that's kind of been the um, the ethos that I followed over mm. the over the years. I know Jim Collins, you know, talked about the big hairy audacious goal or or a BHAG, but I know just even at a more specific level when I interviewed Nabi Salah, who started Gloria Jeans here in Australia, one of the things he said was, you know, we. We always knew we could have a thousand outlets, and and I remember at the time when you had about three hundred and fifty. I, I thought, gee, you, know, you really are 
um, really seeing a, a massive goal, which I don't think you're going to achieve, which of course he, he busted it by miles. Um, but the point he made was if you set yourself a really big goal and you only end up halfway to that big goal, it's still going to be a lot more than the, the two outlets he had in Sydney when he started Gloria Jean. So the big goal is fairly important, isn't it? It is. It, look, I, 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 you know, I have the great fortune with meeting and, and investing in um, many of the country's, you know, most inspiring and um, and aspirational individuals, and they and and they all to a, to 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 a man have the attitude of um, building something big, and uh, and and you've just got to be inspired by it. Yeah, no doubt. Now tell us about. Um, we'll start with Antler first. You know, what is Antler? Okay, because so, in Australia it's actually a luggage business, but I, I'm I'm sure it's not them. <laughs> you only think that, that only for only for a short only for a short time, you know. Uh, you know, Antler Antler is a global early stage venture capital company, and we, as I said, we invest in exceptional individuals. So we are the place to go if you are seeking to build a business um we are the earliest institutional investor in the country and so what that means is that you know uh we most frequently are investing in 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 people who have recently formed into teams um and oftentimes incorporating an entity with them and being the first investor um into the, into the company where does antler come from initially so Antler was uh, Antler was founded in Singapore um, uh, in 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 at the very end of 2017, beginning of 2018, uh, by Magnus Grimmelund, who, as I said, is an old friend of mine. He is a ex-Norwegian Special Forces uh, operative mm. uh, who has studied with me at Harvard and and has um, uh, went spent his time several years at McKinsey after uh, after we left Harvard and, and then we all wound up in in Southeast Asia building tech businesses there together um, and what the 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 original premise of this business was is that hey look um, the the there are large swaths of the world that are caught in unproductive jobs you know there's a, there's a million people around the planet every day that are helping other people to click on more Google ads what a waste of time. And these brains uh, and these individuals should be better used by building uh, the defining companies of tomorrow. And so what Antler does is it goes uh, into new markets and it looks for, uh, it looks for leaders of companies and it brings them into uh, to work with us um, and uh, hopefully to invest in, in their companies and, and be a supporter with them right across, uh, right across the life cycle of the businesses mm. that they build. And I guess in many ways you're looking for the the Sikhs, the REAs, the car sales of the future. That's right. That's exactly what we're looking for. I mean, and look, the, the evidence is, is already plain. Like Australia has demonstrated really an impressive ability to build globally relevant uh, technology businesses um, time and time again. And uh, we think that that's going to continue happening. And, and that's part of the reason why building a, a fund in Australia was a high priority for, for Antler as a, mm. as a global business. Uh, I guess it's fair to say that the guys at Afterpay and Zip have shown even the Americans, uh, what, what kinds of things can happen if you think outside the square? That's ex that that that's exactly right. I mean, and and there are there are so many examples of it. And what's interesting today, you know, even um, you know, I don't want to give away my age too much, Peter, but you know, even even compared to when I was at university, uh, the the extent to which 
young students want to graduate and go and build companies, right? Mm. 40% of undergraduates in Australia say that they want to go and build a company. Mm. And, um, and so this is, um, it, 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 I almost think it's our prerogative as a society to, uh, to, to facilitate this mm. because these are, pe- these, these are brains that are being used, to, used in a productive way for the benefit of the, of the, the economy and Antler is here to kind of invest in them. That's, yeah. that's what I like about it. And it's interesting. I would say 10, maybe 15 years ago, I, um, I shared a platform on the speaking circuit with an American guy He'd published an international bestseller and he'd, he'd worked for one of the big uh, data groups like Reuters or one of those. And he, he'd actually had analysed what American students wanted to do when they graduated. And then the percentage of those American students who wanted to start their own small business slash you know, entrepreneurial activity mm. was huge compared to Australians. But I think that's changed now. I think it, the... the the, the glamour of the tech industries and startups is such that a lot of smart people um, mm. want to follow the same path as um, Mike Cannon Brooks and, um, and his sidekick, um, um, Farquhar. Scott. Yep. Scott yeah. Look, I, I had the kind of unusual experience at, at Harvard uh, as an undergraduate of having uh, Mark Zuckerberg as my roommate, and he obviously went on to, to, to create Facebook. And, uh, and so, so watching- did you did you actually help him? cheat and steal the idea of those poor those poor <laughs> twins who are actually very good rowers and they made a lot of money out of bitcoin <laughs> so funny i rode with the winklevoss twins so so funny that you should uh you should say that uh, um no i was it was my it was my freshman year that we were we were roommates um okay. but yes, i mean i as you you know as, as you point out like a great number of of my classmates have gone on to have have, have built these uh, extraordinary, um, mm. you know, there's no better way of saying it than tech empires. Yeah. And and I just uh, I think that that is something that is is now not just limited to the United States. In fact, it's it's occurring in every market in every market globe. Yeah. And the dogs are barking, mate. That you're absolutely on the money. Thank you. Too. Yeah. <laughs> the the age of working from a domestic location. Only the coronavirus could do that to us. That's okay. We love dogs around here. Now let's go to um, okay. So we understand Antler. Tell us specifically what the Antler Fund has done in the past, and what you want to do here in Australia. Yeah. Um, so we uh, so so I, I started uh, our office here at the the end of 2018 and and we formally launched uh, in in March. It's well o- almost exactly two years ago today. So you know we're almost celebrating our birthday. Mm. Um, and um, at, at at the time, um, our aspiration was to raise a, a 30 million dollar fund and to um, and to invest in uh, about 150 different um, technology businesses uh, across Australia. And uh, what what has happened in the event is is we've raised a forty six million dollar fund uh, and and are on track to to invest in that many new companies, uh, which is which is is incredibly exciting, um, and and really and really what we've been really what we've been doing is um, scouring the scouring the economy looking for you know researchers corporate leaders uh, entrepreneurs who who do who do want to do that who have. Uh, innovative ideas that they want to uh, build and, and scale to a global audience. Yeah. So as you've been going only a couple of years, are you able to 
pinpoint. Don't worry if there's a dog there. <laughs> you're looking around, you're worried if a dog might come in. If he comes on screen, it'll become something that'll go viral. You know, like this whole interview is far more important than than some dog coming on screen. But the whole world would watch yeah, something right. like that. Right. <laughs> uh, in fact, in fact, my my uh, my producer here was saying that you know we do a lot of really valuable stuff here that would really make a difference to people and their lives. But and yeah, you know, and we get seventeen thousand, sometimes twenty thousand watching our investing show. But millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, people watch people eating. Eating on on to like, have we created a world full of f-wits? I've, got to say. <laughs> I've always suspected it, but now we're seeing the numbers on YouTube that Hard prove it. Yes. That's right, it's quantitative uh, quantitative proof these days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anyway, they're nice. They're nice f-wits, but they I think they are f-wits. Um, so, so we start off at your dog now. So, have there been already success stories? From those companies you've supported, and, and dare I say, have any already have any already listed? But I would thought there was like too too short a time frame. It is it is too short a time frame. So look, we've we've been in we 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 made our first we made our first investments in August uh, twenty nineteen. Right. Okay. So the the majority of our companies, by by anyone's standards, are very 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 new. Mm. Um, and uh, and and are still on the on the on the growth path. But nevertheless, I think. Probably the way to think about it is this: um, uh, on average, seventy-five percent of the companies that have emerged from Antler here in Australia have received uh, external funding uh, within twelve months of, of receiving their first investment from Antler. Um, and and this is a this is a very very high number, and and the, and the implication of it is important, right? It means that for people who are looking to build businesses. Um, we are substantially uh, de-risking that for them and extending the opportunity that they would have to have a crack at their idea. And, and what I mean by this is you, you receive money from Antler and then additional external funding. It means you have up to 18 months to really show that your concept is working. Um, to, to replicate that as an individual in the funding market is, um, is, is a very, very difficult thing. Um, and lots of people do it, but it's a, it's a difficult thing. And, and this is the kind of one of the many unfair advantages that um, Antler kind of bestows on its, on its companies. Right. So um, is there a standout in your mind of one of the companies that you, you, you are funding that you think will fast track to success? Look, and be I, I, right, be 100% right. Yeah, can I be 100% right? Look, yeah. I, I think I, I, I actually think that there are a number of them, but I'll, I'll talk about some ones that I think you, you might find interesting yeah. um, and, and that bespeak the kind of nature of what we're doing. So uh, really an obvious one that stands out was from our, from our first cohort. It's a company called Zalient, and they um, Zalient um, uh, offers or provides the world's fastest computer vision. And the basis of this company was um, a piece of research was undertaken um, in Melbourne um, by uh, by Shivy, who joined our by um, who joined our cohort, and he had been a neuro, he, he was a neuroscientist, and then became uh, an AI 
engineer when he worked on Australia's first bionic eye. Yeah. And he realized that there was this concept called selective attention that the brain applied uh, when it was trying to work out what to provide in high definition and what to blur in, in, in your field of vision. And he, uh, he changed that. He wrote that into an algorithm, which is now applied in Zalian and it, and it operates 70 times faster in certain circumstances than the nearest competitor. And this is immensely important for um, any, any, any camera that wants to reduce the server load uh, um, of or, uh, anyone who wants to who reduce their server loads who, is, who are using cameras. So this, is a, and this is an, so this is an example of Antler coming in and helping an Australian researcher to commercialise their work and to help to kind of take it to a, to a, to a global, global audience. Yeah. And in the age of everybody taking far too many shots, <laughs> server overload, it must be a really big issue for for a professional photographer or or an advertising agency or whatever. Well, the, the, so so just, I mean, a simple, perhaps a good way to think about it is if you've got a drone that is taking, you know, 4K high definition photography uh, for an hour, um, the, the the server cost for that um, on 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 a basic so on it can be up to thirty five dollars. Uh, when they run Zalian software, uh, it can be as low as fifty four cents for that yeah, same huge. amount, right? So absolutely massive. And I do want to wait one. Uh, it's interesting because Shivy's original intention was a uh, was a, an environmental one. I think it's something like for every thirteen CCTV cameras that run Zalian software, it's equivalent to taking a car off the road in a Missions yeah. because your servers are obviously so uh, use so much energy. Yeah, and I guess you know the 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 companies behind multi million dollar blockbusters, there'd be big savings for them as well because that must that's be right. a big cost for them for the amount of that's filming right. they do. That's right. Okay, and is there another one you want to excite us with? Yeah, um, look, I, I'll, I'll go. I'll go all the way to the other end, and and, and similar uh, similar cohort. Uh, it's a company uh, called Upstreet. Upstreet provide uh, fractional shares as a lo- uh, as a loyalty uh, for, for as a as a loyalty mechanism. So if you uh, if you shop with your favorite um, if if you with your favorite meal box um, as a as a as a loyalty uh, uh, contribution, they will give you fractional shares either in their company or in an uh, or in an ETF. Um, and what um, they have shown most recently when they've gone and done a couple of large scale um, large scale rollouts with some big listed companies here in Australia is that this is exactly the type of loyalty that people want to receive right mm. that, that instead of cash back if I'm getting if I'm getting shares uh, in an ETF that's actually an incredibly sticky purchase so upstream um, have been doing very very well recently yeah and I can imagine I, I know there's been times when I've um, interviewed um, fund managers who I respect uh, and one was Charlie Aiken and Charlie was saying that uh, he, he once said to his daughter you know, as they walked through a, a shopping mall, you know, if, if I bought some shares for you, you know, what, what companies would you like me to buy? And she just named all the ones that she loved going to, you know, like <laughs> um, uh, Baby Bunting because they were shopping for a younger brother or something like that and and uh, the ice cream company, if, if Messina was listed she, she would want to buy Messina. And it's interesting, I think a lot of people who say shop at a, at a store which they think is a great store would be happy to get free fractional um, shares in that, in that company and would make them want to keep coming back. 
Right. I mean, look, that the the 10% that you get off, it's it's ephemeral, right? Like you see it and it, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. But but the the sense of owning shares in a company is is an enduring um, experience and, mm-hmm. and and creates greater mm-hmm. loyalty. So I think it's a very very smart product. I'm surprised that the guys that uh, started Afterpay hadn't thought about that because they, they came <laughs> up with and I taught Anthony Eisen many years ago, and uh, I'm surprised Anthony hasn't come up with well, it. Well, they've got enough money to buy it, so if they're listing, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly right. All right, mate, let's go to the plans for Australia and new funds. Do you, are you expecting to, to do a new fund uh, soon? Well, God, hold on. This is, this, is, this is exhausting. 24 hours after we announced that we are launching in Melbourne officially in June, you're asking me about new funds. God, I... <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, uh, okay. It's, well, tell us about the one because you, you <laughs> talked about the one in 2018. Yeah, I haven't really asked you about the one that's launching in June, and maybe right. that, it was supposed to be the leading question for you to mention that <laughs> rather than having a go at the interviewer. But go on, uh, listen. Yeah, no, so we um we just announced that we are going to launch in Melbourne, so it'll come out of the same, same, the, the original fund and be making the same investments, mm. um, but. Uh, we will build a, a presence um, over the next couple of months so that we launch uh, our fifth cohort in Sydney and our first cohort in Melbourne together uh, in June. Um, look, it's, we're, we're incredibly excited about it, uh, not, not just in Australia, but as a global business, you know, Melbourne is, um, you know, close to level pegging with Sydney in terms of companies that it produces um, impact in global technology uh, and and number of people working in tech in Australia. And so it just felt like a a natural progression for us now that we have, um, you know, uh, now that we've kind of launched and bedded down the model here here in Australia. Um, and it's it's the opportunity to um, to just find more companies to invest in that we're most excited about. Okay, I guess some people listening would say, "Well, where do these guys get their money from?" I know um, your your f- former New Age Viking. You called him a special forces person, a special forces person from from Norway, just a New Age Viking. I would have thought uh, he, he he kicked off what with fourteen million or something like that. No, 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 no. That sorry, was, that, that was the Lazada story. Was, that was, that was the Lazada sorry, story. sorry, no, I got no. the stories wrong. But okay, <laughs> where where is the money coming from? Um, the the so my my uh, partner and I aunt uh, raised raised the fund predominantly down here, and mm. you know there are some um, private investors from private investors yep. you know the one of one of the one of the facebook co-founders is an investor in our fund uh mm-hmm. and and numerous other big australian family offices a lot of high a lot of um existing technology investors high net worth people um that's that's who it's made up yeah. of. but private investors yeah so so when you go for the fund of the future which you weren't happy to talk about oh. <laughs> how, how <laughs> some people listening to this might say hey i'd like to be a part of that uh, in the future, so you know, do you have to have gone to Harvard to get a get a crack at this kind of thing, or what? <laughs> um, uh, no, absolutely. You, you do have to be a sophisticated investor of to course. invest in a, in a yeah. VC fund in Australia at the moment. Um, but no, look, yeah, we 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 will um, start uh, start. Uh, preparing to raise another fund next year uh, mm. that like because we are we're about halfway through our deployment period um, now so so that that's actually the the time that we'll start to go out to market with it um, and yeah look it, it, the, the 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 people who are interested uh, should, uh, should probably just drop me a line I think mm. it's the, the simplest way I'd love to get to love to get to meet them and and, and look we're always the, the, the great thing about what we do is 
we really, because we are getting in on the ground level with people, there are always interesting stories to engage mm. with at, at, uh, at, at Antler. Like you never know quite what we're going to see. Uh, we see some pretty wild and wacky stuff. And, and so we find that our investor base is, um, is I think, very, very engaged because it is um, such an interesting thing that we're trying to do. Yeah. So both investors and potential recipients should just contact you, drop you a line. Drop, drop Don't do anything line. high tech like an email or a text. Drop you a line, ring you up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, by the way, um, you know, if someone you know looks for, for a phone number for Antler in Australia, is there actually a place where they can find that phone number? No, I think I mean most people just go to antler.co okay. or uh, they they'll find me on on LinkedIn, okay. um, Beadmore on LinkedIn. Okay. You know. Okay. Yeah. I, I would like to say that, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm not the only Beadmore in Australia, I can tell you, because I have met another Beadmore. Yeah. So even Lots of moors, but not many beads. Not many beads, oh. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. I've got to ask this question. Were you related to the great Chicka Moore played centre in the Newtown Jets many years ago? No, I wasn't, yeah. and I grew up in I grew up in Balmain, so you, uh, you know him, that mate. you know I was maybe your mum and dad knew Sirin and Flan growing yeah, up. Sira, great <laughs> footballer. All right, um, so some people be wondering how safe or how risky is it to to back the antler guesses on a hundred and fifty companies, of of which a few might become unbelievable. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, th I think that this is actually a, is quite an interesting point, right? Like investing, uh, investing in early stage companies can be really, really um, risky, mm. but as a, as a, um, as a diversified, um, you know, asset class or they, it performs exceptionally well, right? So, yeah. so really what you are seeking to do when you make um, early stage investments is have sufficient diversification across a wide enough number of companies that you get the, that you get the outlier returns. And this is, this is precisely the kind of underlying thesis of, of Antler is that, you know, we, um, we do make a very, very large number of investments and as a consequence have, have picked, you know, um, a, a good number of winners, I hope, and, and we will do so yeah. into the future. But, but in a sense, Bird, you have to be patient for your returns because you wouldn't expect mm. these small companies to give you some, you know, a payment along the way. The, the, the payment is That's when right. you, you go to the next level. Yeah, so 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 the I think the math on this is that the um, the the um, optimal period, like that the, the the greatest amount of value is created for companies that IPO in between six and ten years after inception, yep. right? So so what it says to you is that a fund like ours that is investing this early is, is certainly is, is is waiting for you know at least four or five years, but but much more much more likely kind of six and seven for that mm. for the primary paybacks to start coming in. Yeah, and and when you invest in these companies, the, the proportion of the ownership that you guys get for the fund just varies from case to case. No, it doesn't actually. Um, in in so so because uh, we are investing so early, what we do is we take a we we value all of the companies at the same price. So so we 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 provide a hundred and ninety thousand dollars for a twelve percent equity stake mm. um, at these newly in these newly incorporated companies. Mm. And the intention there is to provide uh, the companies with sufficient um, with, with sufficient runway for them to, uh, you know, 
put the infrastructure in place to raise a larger uh, and more substantive round and then but while at the same time not taking such a large um, slice of equity that it is um, you know disadvantageous to them yeah. further down the road yeah because a lot of startups don't like to give away too much despite the fact sometimes they should just to get the access to the insights the connections the networks and all those sort of things but they can't see it in those early stages so that's right yeah. that's right um so, um, do you do you see Antler ever listing itself on the stock market? Uh, I that's look, that's probably um, above my pay grade to speculate. Oh about, yeah, a uh, guy goes know. to Harvard, hangs around <laughs> with a new age Viking, can't answer a question like that. Come on. <laughs> um, no, look, I, I certain, certain, certainly, um, certainly not in Australia, right? Like, what our our intention here in Australia is 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 to continue backing yeah. um, great founders, um, and 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 that's that's our that's our yeah. primary focus. Yeah. Well, B, it's a great story, mate, and um, uh, I really wish you a lot of luck and I hope that the companies that you're assisting actually do come to the fore because they become great export earners as well. They're not just someone, a, a group that make a lot of money for themselves. They, they become export earners, so the whole country benefits when we create world-class companies. So well done and congratulations. And uh, we, sh we should catch up in a year's time to see how those companies are going. I'd like to do that. Thanks very much for having me. Real pleasure. And that was Bead Moore of the Antler Fund. That's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you next week. A special show. Yeah.